A Cinderella story with Hilary Duff and Chad Michael Murray is definitely what I would call a cult classic. It's a modernization of the traditional Cinderella fairy tale and a perfect look at early 2000s movies. Hilary Duff is at the height of her career. Chad Michael Murray is in his second season of One Tree Hill, the reason why he left Gilmore Girls. And they're just two teen heartthrobs doing what they do best, being cute and giving what needs to be given. It's the perfect casting. The movie follows Samantha after the tragic death of her father. She works at the local diner that her father left behind, and it is now under the management of her evil stepmother, played by Jennifer Coolidge. There's something I've always wanted to tell you, and I think you're ready to hear it. You're not very pretty, and you're not very bright. I'm so glad we had that talk. As I said, perfect casting. Sam is basically a social outcast, as are all pretty white girls. She has one friend. The cool kids call her diner girl. Her two ugly stepsisters are mean to her. Her stepmother is evil and withholding her inheritance from her and her chance to go to Princeton, and Sam doesn't even know this. Don't feel too bad for her. Because redemption comes in the form of Austin Ames, the school's quarterback and local hottie. He and Samantha have been chatting with each other on I Am, Samantha under the alias Princeton Girl. They don't know what the other looks like, but they do have this connection that only two teenagers could create with each other over the internet. They have not met yet. So they agree to meet at the school's local Halloween costume dance. Samantha goes despite having to work at the diner that night. She shows up in a barely covering her eyes mask and instantly she is the most beautiful and least recognizable girl in the joint. She and Austin meet, they fall in love, he doesn't recognize her, and in true form to any Cinderella story, before the stroke of midnight, she runs off and drops her phone. Austin spends the next couple of days at school looking for his Cinderella, his Princeton girl. But because Sam is too ashamed of her persona as the school's local invisible diner girl, she never steps up and says, it's me, I'm Princeton girl. Today, we are reading chapter nine of John, where we meet the local blind man. After he is healed, the people can't believe that it's actually him, but he steps up and remains steadfast in saying, I am that man. Let's talk about it. Welcome to the Basic Bible Babe podcast. I'm your Basic Bible Babe, Brooke Ashley, and I'm not a theologian, but chances are you aren't either. But you don't have to be one to understand and fall in love with the Bible. So here, the goal is simple, to motivate each other to move past those things that stop us from reading the Bible and to become a people that understand and appreciate the Bible for what it is, incredible. So remember, the Word of God is for you, and it's relevant to your life today. Let's dive in. How has y'all's week been so far? I am at the beginning of my vacation on Saturday. Well, we're doing a staycation. On Saturday, me and Aaron went to a water park called Wild Rivers in Irvine, California, It was a water park in Irvine, California, and then it shut down in 2011. They reopened it in 2022, and it is so amazing. These slides are so top of the line, so cool. So, like, the colors are really cool. 
everything is super clean because it's brand new and it's in Irvine. If you know anything about California, you know Irvine is like super clean and nice. So this water park is really clean. The only two things I can give to it is that it's not like super immersive. Like the theming isn't really intense. It's just a water park. And um, there's not music playing throughout the park. But other than that, the food is pretty good. Uh, the place is really, really clean, which is something that you really want out of a water park. And the slides are the best water slides I've ever been on. 8.5 out of 10, I would definitely go back. It is the best water park I've ever been to. But mind you, I've only been to Soak City and Hurricane Harbor. But I still think it's an accurate representation of what water parks look like. That's how my staycation started. Me and my husband are going to Disneyland on Wednesday, and I can't wait for that, for all the like snackies that I get to try at Disneyland. Overall, nice to have a week off from work and be able to chillax at home. I'm so excited to be able to get back into the podcast. I really, really, really am truly enjoying doing this, so I hope you guys are enjoying the episodes, and I hope that they're getting better as the weeks go on. This week, we are talking about John chapter 9, Nine chapters in, have you started to notice any themes in John? I want you to take a moment to think about any themes that you recognize and just think about any like patterns that you've seen of behavior in these chapters and just kind of think about it for a second. You can go ahead and pause it right now. So there's no wrong answers. Here's what I thought of when I was thinking of themes in the book. Mercy. I've seen a lot of normal people, <laughs> compassion, and willing ignorance. Those are just some thoughts that came into my head when I was thinking about themes of John. Here's some others that came up in research. Light and darkness, we definitely see that a lot. Miracles, of course, we've been seeing a lot of miracles. Faith, and many, many more themes. But just shows to kind of get your brain thinking. It's always good to look back and remember what the main points of what we have been reading are. Take inventory of what we've learned and in order to move forward to see what we still need to learn. We're reading chapter 9 and we left off with the people wanting to stone Jesus and him kind of skedaddling out of there. So he skedaddles on out and he sees a man who has been blind since birth. And his disciples, ever the compassionate bunch, they say, Hey Jesus, look at that blind guy. Who sinned to make him like this, him or his parents? Remember the state of the disciples. They are Jews, and they have been brought up with a clear idea of what sin is and its believed consequences. There is sin and a need for an animal sacrifice to a holy God. Someone who has had a hard life has to be a sinner. Someone with a hard life can't have the favor of the Lord. We also see this in the book of Job. Job loses everything. He loses his family, his livelihood, his money, and his health. So much so that when his friends see Job, they say, Dude, what did you do? Why does God hate you so much? You must have done something. And Job even starts to question, man, what did I do? Why does God hate me so much? I must have done something wrong. To the Jews, to the people of Israel, there is a clear tie between sin and hardship. And this is how it should be because this they are in the Old Testament. This is 
before Jesus came down to be the lamb of God, to be a sacrifice for them. So there is a clear tie between sin and hardship. And this even extends to us. Have you ever seen hardship in your life and wondered, what did you do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why did God allow this to happen? I will tell you what, I think that this type of thinking and these type of questions come with prolonged hardship. The one that doesn't pass in a month or even a year, but that long hardship that you start thinking, dang, how did I make God mad? Why am I still dealing with this? Well, Jesus answers his disciples. He says, neither his or his parents' sin is the cause for his blindness. But today, I'm going to use his blindness to display the works of God. Jesus is going to use his hardship. Did you know that Jesus can use your hardship, the thing that has been bringing you pain, for the honor and glory of God? Jesus then says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here, this, this I was thinking about this statement. And what I think Jesus is talking about here is his earthly ministry. He has to do everything that he can do now. Heal the sick while he's here. Change lives while he's here because he's going to die soon. And then his earthly ministry will be over forever as far as him down on earth. So when I read it again, it also seems like a command and a prophecy to end times. I think Jesus likes to do that a lot. I think he likes to prophesy. So let me read it again. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Is this a command to you and me in these crazy times to help people while we can, while his spirit is on the earth? Absolutely, because night is coming when no man can work. What does he mean by night? Well, a time where his spirit is no longer on earth. Did you know that some people think that the Bible says that after the rapture, that his spirit will depart from the earth to let people have their time with the Antichrist? Don't worry, he comes back to save the world, but his spirit leaves to give the people time with the Antichrist. So I think that the scripture is also a command to you and I to do the works God has sent us to do while we can, while we are in our earthly ministry, while we are working with the Holy Spirit to do his works that he has sent us to do. Jesus spits on the ground, okay? And he makes some clay with the dirt and puts it on the blind man's eyes. Gross. Listen, beggars cannot be choosers. However, I want the clean healing, right? The get up and walk healing. If I were this guy, I'd wonder why I had to be like the spit clay healing guy. But Jesus tells him to go wash himself in the pool of Siloam. And so he does. And guess what? He came back with his sight. This guy has been blind from birth. So all the Jews are very familiar with him. He's the local blind guy. Well, what a surprise it was to them when the local blind guy is all of a sudden the local spit clay healed guy instead. He can see. And this amazes them so much that they don't believe it's him. They don't want to believe it's him either. They are scared of the Pharisees. So they start saying, no, it's not him. It just looks like him. But this man, he makes me so proud. And he keeps telling them, I am that man. 
He's not ashamed that he was probably a beggar before, that he experienced hardship, that the locals viewed him as a sinner, right? Because they view hardship and sin as tied together. He stood up and proudly proclaimed, I am that man. Do you ever get afraid of having your past thrown in your face? The person that you once were. It's a scary thought in today's climate, kinda, because people are mean and unforgiving and looking to call you a hypocrite or a sinner. But I want to let you know that it is okay to stand up and be proud of the person that God has changed you from and say, I am that man. I am Princeton girl. It's okay for you to say, I struggled with lust. I struggled with addiction. I had an abortion. I was once blind and now I see I am that man. I am that woman. The Bible says that we overcome by the word of our testimony. Your testimony is powerful and may be the key to someone else's breakthrough. He was proud, y'all. He said, I am that man. You guys, we need to allow space for people to say, I am that man. Don't be like the people that were in so much disbelief that Jesus had transformed him that they said, yeah, that's not him. Jesus couldn't have changed him. Because when you doubt transformation, you're not only doubting the person, but you're also doubting Jesus. Allow people to share their testimonies and cheer them on. Hype them up. Embrace testimonies with love and awe at God's miracle working power. I'm that man, y'all. I'm Princeton girl. So the people ask him, how were your eyes opened? And he answers them. He says, it was Jesus. Then they ask him, well, where is Jesus? To which he replies, I don't know. Then the people, turning out to be a bunch of snitches, go and tell on this man and tell that he has been healed by Jesus. And they bring him before the Pharisees. Of course, the man was healed on the Sabbath, and they are eager to charge Jesus with something. So they ask him how he received his sight. The man goes through the story again. The clay, the pool, the healing, and Jesus. This divided the Pharisees once again. With some saying, he's a sinner because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. And others saying, how can a sinner do all of these works? So they ask the blind man, for his opinion. But you know, they weren't really looking for his opinion. They don't care about his opinion. He was a blind beggar before. They only care about the wisdom of themselves. He was set up to fail no matter what he said. But he said something pretty safe. He said, he's a prophet. The leaders start to doubt the story that this man was even blind in the first place. So they call his parents. They ask his parents, isn't this your son who you say was born blind? How come now he can see? The parents are shaking in their boots because they don't want to be excommunicated. It has already been ordered that anyone who says that Jesus is the Messiah will be excommunicated. So they say, yeah, this is our son. And yeah, he was indeed born blind. But how he, he can see now? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. This is a running theme throughout the book of John. People realize that he is the Christ, and yet they don't confess or follow him because they are more afraid of man than they are of God. 
And that does not make logical sense. But once again, the people are proving to be very nearsighted and very superficial. They don't have their sights set on eternity or even God. They have it set on man and religion. And if this is something that they struggle with, we have to remember that we are these same people. We are also human. That means that this is something that we probably struggle with also. How can we learn from them? How can we learn to fear God over man? So the parents leave. They call the man again, and boy, does this dialogue crack me up. As I read it, it kind of reminds me of a young man like my brother. He doesn't really care what the authority has to say. He just cares about facts, and he's not afraid to say it. So picture any young man that you know like this as I read it. Pharisees, give glory to God, boy. Jesus is a sinner and he couldn't have healed you. It had to have been God. Man. I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is that I was once blind and now I see. Pharisees, what did this man do to you? How did he open your eyes? Man. I already told you guys, but you are not listening. Why do you want to hear it again? Are you guys trying to become disciples of Jesus? Pharisees, you are his disciple. We are only disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but to this man, we don't even know where this man comes from. Man. Wow, that's amazing. Not even the leaders know where he comes from, and yet he still opened up my eyes. We all know this, that God doesn't listen to a sinner's command, but those who worship God and obey him, God listens to them. Never since the world began has anyone ever heard that someone opened up a man's eyes that were blind from birth. That is unheard of. If this man were not backed by God, he couldn't do a thing. Pharisees, you're a sinner and you were born in sin. And then they cast him out and they excommunicated him. End scene. Come on, y'all. That is some of the best dialogue I have read in the Bible in a while. I feel like I learned so much about this man and his personality through this dialogue. I'm able to picture the scene. This man is so sharp and unabashed. He's not sorry to say that Jesus healed him. He's just speaking the truth. And he just reminds me of a young man like my brother. My brother's 26 today. Happy birthday to my brother. And I can totally see my brother having this conversation with these guys. He's not interested in their feelings. He's interested in the truth. Remember, his parents were too afraid of man to confess Christ. But this young man, who maybe was less afraid of them, Jesus was able to use him to speak truth. Jesus hears that he has been cast out. So he goes looking for him, just like my God, to seek out those who have been shunned. Jesus finds him and he asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? This term, Son of Man, is basically just a term of humility reminding us that Jesus is human. He took on flesh to die for us. So the man says, I definitely want to. Who is he so I can believe in him? And this conversation kind of reminds me of the Samaritan woman at the well when she invites him to reveal himself, right? She invites Jesus to reveal himself. Well, this young man is doing the same thing. Jesus takes the invitation happily and says, you are looking at him. I am speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. And he starts worshiping Jesus. And I like the way the message version puts this last part of the chapter. 
Jesus then said, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that all those who have never seen will finally see, and those who have made a great pretense of seeing will be exposed as blind. Well, some of the Pharisees overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? Well, Jesus said, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. And that concludes chapter nine. Such good stuff found in one chapter, guys. You don't have to, I, I definitely encourage you to read the whole Bible, but you don't have to read the whole Bible in one day to hear from God. You can hear from God by studying one chapter. Next week's suggested reading is chapter 10. Please follow the Basic Bible Babe on Instagram. I'm so happy to communicate with you guys on there. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I read those reviews with a big old smile on my face. And remember, when anyone tries to get up in your grill about your past and who God has transformed you from, you can stand up and boldly say, that is me. I am that man. I am Princeton Girl. By the way, Samantha and Austin Ames end up together at the end of the Cinderella story. I just thought I should let you know. And it's the iconic scene where like he leaves the football game and runs to her in the middle of the rain and like kisses her in front of the whole school. Sorry, boys. What? Throwing away your dream. No, Dad. Throwing away yours. Austin, what are you doing? Something I should have done a long time ago. Iconic.